At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I'm Mark Robinson, and I am the senior pastor here at Wildwood. And it is just a tremendous privilege that you have chosen to worship with us today. Uh, you know, I realized that you could be any place this morning. I mean, really, you could only be in your living room, but, but you could tune in any place today, right? You could tune into any church, and so it's just a privilege that you have chosen to gather with us here at Wildwood uh, as we are lifting up the name of Jesus together. And I want to just orient all of us to where we have been as a church family over the last couple of months Going back into uh, the month of February, we began a series called Defeating Death, where we have been marching through Matthew's gospel, chapters 26, 27, and 28, to see what Jesus did in the last couple of days of his earthly life, leading up to uh, offering his life on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and then being resurrected on the third day. And so far in this series, we have seen that Jesus' life was given by him, not taken from him, that we have the opportunity to value him most, that we get to remember what Jesus has done for us, that we can avoid the pitfall of failure, that we need to face adversity on our knees, that we need to identify Jesus as the Son of God, a sacrifice for our sins and our Savior that we can avoid the mocker's mistake, and then we saw even on Friday night that Jesus died for our sins. Well, today, friends, we are going to uh, continue this series by looking at Matthew 28, 1 through 15, where we're going to see that the resurrection changes everything. That the resurrection changes everything. Now, before we look at those verses together, I I want to just think for just a a brief moment about an experience from my childhood. See, I I love the game of basketball. And when I would play basketball at home as a child, I, I would often be playing against imaginary opponents. And so there is little Mark, uh, 10, 11, 12, 15 year old Mark in his driveway, outside shooting baskets. And I typically was playing in a game where I was competing against some team. I might have been playing in the Olympics. I might have been in the NBA Finals. I might have been in the Final Four in my head. But in reality, I was in the driveway playing against no one. Now, in that game, what would happen is this. I I would typically, the team I was on would be behind. And we would need to catch up. And I would make shots to catch us up in that game. And you know what I found in those make-believe games in my driveway? I was undefeated. I never lost. I always made the shot with the clock winding down. Now, that's not, friends, because I was such an amazing shooter. That's because in the make-believe world of my driveway, if I missed the shot, guess what? I was fouled. And so I would get to go to the free throw line to win the game. And if I missed the free throw, guess what? An opponent always had a lane violation, giving me another chance to make the shot. See, that's the way it works in the make-believe land. The clock never runs out, and we always have a chance to win the game. But sadly, real life is not quite like that, is it? 
in real life, decisions we make or circumstances we confront sometimes leave us in spots that feel like dead ends, places where we feel like we have lost the affair, the divorce, the heart attack, the virus, the job loss, that conversation with your kids, that semester that you didn't apply yourself inside of your college education. In real life, at times, decisions we make or circumstances that we are confronted with, things like global pandemics or situations beyond our control like that, whether it's our decisions or our circumstances, often we feel like we have lost or we feel like our best days are behind us, not in front of us. You know, in real life, sometimes we miss the shot. I remember in uh, spring of 1996, as a senior at OU, I was a part of an intramural team that had the chance to compete in a national intramural tournament sponsored by Pizza Hut. And we were flown to Orlando, Florida. That's right, the Magic Kingdom. And we went there to play the game. And we were playing a game. We won our first one. We're playing the second game. If we win, we get to go and participate in a Sweet 16 game the following weekend in Lexington, Kentucky. I have a shot to win the game, a 17-footer, nobody guarding me. In my driveway, I always made it. But that day, I missed it. And it still pains my heart today. In real life, sometimes it feels like we lose. Sometimes it seems like the game is over. But friends, as we gather here today on Easter Sunday, I want to remind all of us of something that is not relegated to the world of make-believe, but is something that is absolutely real. And it's something that happened in the history of the world that absolutely changes our reality. It can take our lives and give us hope after failure. And it can give us forgiveness after sin. And it can provide light after darkness. And even life after death. What is the event that happened in history that can take our darkest moments, our losses, and provide inside of them victory? Friends, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus, the historical event attested to by Matthew, a contemporary of Jesus and one of his followers, as he writes in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. I want to read those verses for us, and then we'll go back and unpack them together. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1, says this. It says, Now, after the Sabbath and toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like a dead man. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, 
just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, and he said, Greetings. And they came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Friends, this is the historical account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about this story today, though, I I want us to go back and look at it and see three specific things today. The first thing I want us to see is this. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. Now, where do we see that inside of this passage? Well, it's helpful for us to begin by just kind of getting oriented to the calendar so that we understand what is happening inside of this account. You see, on a Friday, Jesus had been crucified. Remember, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw how Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane overnight Thursday into early Friday morning when a mob comes and grabs him and takes him before Caiaphas, the high priest, and then Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and the pronouncement is given that Jesus would be crucified. So after daybreak, Jesus is taken from the place where Pilate was staying, out to a place called Golgotha, where he was crucified. He was nailed to a cross and lifted up to die. Jesus died later Friday afternoon. But after Jesus died on the cross, his body was taken down and buried in the tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. We saw that Friday night. That was all on Friday. Well, then day two was Saturday. And on Saturday, that was the Jewish Sabbath day. And on a Sabbath day, Jews would would not gather together uh, or leave their home and go about work and business, but they would stay inside their home with their loved ones and they would have a time of private worship. And so not much happened on Saturday. And all day Saturday, Jesus' body lay dead in the tomb. Then the third day came about. The third day was Sunday. You might have heard the saying before, Jesus would be resurrected on the third day, and you start to do the math. Wait a minute, he died on Friday, but he was raised on Sunday. That sounds like only a day and a half away from when he died. Well, we're talking about days here, day one, day two, and day three. It was on the third day on that Sunday morning that Jesus was resurrected. And when we think about the resurrection of Jesus, it's important for us to remember that this was something that Jesus had promised. It was something that he had prophesied. Think about what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, verse 19. He said that he would be delivered over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. 
but he would be raised to life on the third day. Jesus had called his shot. He said that he would be crucified, but on the third day he would be resurrected, just like the calendar we see in Matthew 27 and 28. But even though Jesus had been clear that he was going to be resurrected, it is also clear that nobody expected nobody in the tomb. That's a really bad joke. You can laugh in your house, okay? Nobody expected nobody in the tomb. Even though Jesus had said, hey, on the third day I'm going to rise, on the third day, clearly his followers were not expecting what was going to happen. Now, we see evidence of this inside the text. First of all, there are women who are going out to the tomb. We see that in chapter 28, verse 1, where it describes Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Uh, The other gospels let us know there were some other women with them, but these women were going out to the tomb. And Mark chapter 16 lets us know something very specific about what they were expecting to do at the tomb. They were expecting to go there and anoint a dead body. That's what they were expecting to do to do. Their chief concern was not, what will we say to Jesus when we see him resurrected? Their chief concern was, who is going to roll away the stone for us? They brought spices to anoint him. They were concerned with who would move the stone. They were expecting to find a dead body. Nobody expected nobody in the tomb. Not only do we see this with the women, though, friends, but we also see it with the disciples, And when we see it with the disciples and that we don't see them, where are they? They're nowhere to be found in the first part of chapter 28. They are heartbroken. They are fearful. Could the same fate that happened to Jesus happen to them as well? And so they they fled. And as they fled, they would have these feelings of failure, that they had not stood with Jesus in his time of need. Peter, specifically, because of his denial, they would have had feelings of failure that they were dealing with. But not only would they have had feelings of failure, but they also would have been dealing with tragic circumstances. The circumstances that they were dealing with in that moment were that their hope, the one they were trusting in, was no longer with them. He had been brutally beaten and killed just a couple of days before. Friends, the disciples did not think that the story would continue. They thought that it was over, and so they were not there. But not only, friends, do we see that nobody expected nobody in the tomb by the actions of the women or the disciples, but but think about this for a moment. There was no resurrection party planned. I mean, just imagine for a moment, if, if you knew that a friend of yours was going to rise from the dead on the third day, what would you do? You might buy some balloons. You might bake a cake. You might hang some streamers. You might go and send someone to go and, and wait outside of his tomb, counting down the moments for when he would walk out so that you might escort him back to the party where everyone else would be waiting. Even if you would have been fearful, somebody would have been hiding in camouflage, waiting for that moment. But friends, the fact that there was no resurrection party planned, the fact that nobody was there, you know, watching as the sun came up, you know, as the sun was peeking over the edge, you know, they're counting it down like we would the the ball dropping in Times Square at at New Year's Eve, 10, 9, 8. Here he comes. He's getting ready to come out. Get ready, get ready, get ready. No, there's none of that, friends, because nobody expected nobody 
to be in the tomb. And yet, something happened. What happened? Friends, the resurrection happened. And that changed everything. It changed the women from people coming to mourn and to care for a dead body to people celebrating a risen Savior. It led the stone that they didn't know how it would be moved to be rolled aside with an angel sitting on top. Have you ever thought about that? Why was the angel sitting on top at that moment? I think the angel was sitting on top at that moment. It's like God's business card. The stone had moved and God was saying, I moved it. I want you to know. I want everybody to see and realize and understand that that stone is gone, not because there was an earthquake, but because God says, I caused the earthquake. I moved the stone so that Jesus might walk out of the grave. Friends, something happened. The resurrection happened. The guards who had gathered to make sure that Jesus didn't come out, they, they, they pass out in fear or they fled from the scene. The women went from, from caring for a dead body to hugging and worshiping a risen Savior. Something happened. The resurrection happened, and it changes everything. Now, when we think about this historical event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what does it mean? You know, most would know, most understand that when we talk about Jesus, we talk about one who was crucified, we talk about one who was raised from the dead, but what does it mean that Jesus was resurrected? Well, I want us to think about that in, in a few different points. The first thing that we think about with the resurrection, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have proof that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus said he was the Son of God. He said that he was the Messiah. And his resurrection proved it because he called his shot. He said, I will die, and on the third day I will be resurrected. When he is resurrected, we ought to take his other claims seriously. It's interesting, back in Mark chapter 2, Jesus was interacting with a paralytic, and there were a number of people around, and in that interaction, uh, Jesus is going to, to heal the paralytic, uh, and, but in the process of doing that, he, he says to him, your, your sins are forgiven, and people begin to freak out. They begin to say, who are you? to forgive someone's sins. Only God can do that. Well, what does, what does Jesus say? He says, which is easier for me to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your mat, and walk? Well, the answer is it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because we can't see that. But Jesus said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, rise, take your mat, and walk. And when the paralytic rises, takes his mat, and walks, we suddenly have visible evidence of the claims of Christ. When Jesus said, I'm going to be raised on the third day, and then he was, we suddenly have visible evidence that he was who he said he was. Not only that, but because of the resurrection, we find out God's plan for our sin and our failure. His plan for our shame and our guilt is to bury it, to bury it with Jesus Christ. If we are trusting in him, then our failures, our sin, all of it, the big ones and the little ones, guess what God's plan is for it? He placed it upon the back of Jesus Christ, and when he died on the cross, God buried your shame in the tomb. And then, 
the stone is moved. And Jesus walked out in a new life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4 tells us that we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. Friends, you think your life is over because of what you have done. In Christ, your life is not over, it is just beginning. If you are trusting in Christ, your shame was buried with Christ. And in him, you have the opportunity to live a new life. Our sin is buried. Now, a new life we get to live. A third implication of the resurrection that I want us to think about today, though, is because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. We have a living hope. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Friends, this is what Jesus has done for us. His resurrection lets us know that not only was he resurrected, but the hope of resurrection lies to all who are in him. Friends, if you have lost a loved one, and in this day and age, who hasn't? And even in the days ahead, if we are going to be grieving and mourning the loss of others, if they are in Christ, you know what they have? They have a living hope. Why can we of all people not be afraid of death? Because we have a living hope. Our bodies will break down, but Christ will give us a resurrected life. The resurrection reminds us of that truth. It's not the end. Also, because of the resurrection, we're reminded that nothing can separate us from him. You know, it might have seemed in a moment like that stone could separate God from his people. The disciples, the women, they felt alone on that afternoon. But guess what? God literally moved heaven and earth to be with them. We're reminded that there is nothing that can separate us from God. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 and 38. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, the resurrection reminds us. The resurrection presents to us. The resurrection declares to us that everything is changed because of what God has done for us in him. So here is the question that I have for you today. What are you dealing with right now? What, what burden has been laid upon you as you gather today? Are you thinking that your best days are behind you because your spouse is not with you or your, your kids are now away? You're thinking your, your, your high points were in the past. Guess what? Your high point is not in the past if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, the resurrection means that your best day is ahead of you, not behind you. And we've had some good days behind us. But our hope is there. If you're here today and you're dealing in the midst of the struggle with addiction or a broken relationship 
or a sin pattern that you hate, much less you know that it falls short of God's glorious standard, guess what? There's hope. That shame, that guilt, that punishment was buried with Christ if you are in him. The resurrection reminds us that you get to walk out today and live a new life, not that old life. You get to live a new life, and guess what? You'll be living that new life for all eternity. Friends, say it with me. The resurrection changes everything. Now, second thing I want us to see from these verses today, though, is this. I want us to look at uh, the instruction that the women receive when they go to the tomb. They're given basically two instructions. Beyond the the command to, to not be afraid, they're given two basic commands. The first command is to come and see, and the second command is to go and tell. The first command is to come and see. The angel says to the women, why don't you go inside the tomb and look at what has transpired? They are invited to go inside. Friends, have you you thought about this for a moment? Why was the stone moved? The stone was not moved so that Jesus could get out. Jesus has, as we'll see a little later on uh, in the gospel accounts, an amazing ability after his resurrection to just walk through walls and locked doors. For Jesus to get out of the tomb, he could have just walked through the rock, not around it. But the stone was moved. Why? So that the women and the disciples could go inside. They were invited to come in and see it, just to see that the garments that he had been wrapped in just a couple of days prior for his burial, and to see them laying there with him not inside. They're invited to go out into the garden and see Jesus face to face and and fall down and grab onto him. They're, They're given evidence, proof, that Jesus was indeed resurrected. They were invited to come and to see what had transpired. But they weren't just called to to come and to see. They were invited to also go and to tell. Both the angel and Jesus said, okay, you have seen what has transpired. Now I want you to go and tell the disciples. I want you to go and tell others what has happened here. Now, both of these things are important. Both of these uh, commands are essential. Because they needed to come and see so that they would know what they were talking about. They needed to to come in and and look at it and to verify it. But not just in that moment, but they needed to come and see Jesus over an extended period of time. These were women who had followed him from his days up in Galilee. Mary Magdalene had had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. That would breed an amazing amount of loyalty and a belief in his power. They, they, They had seen him. They had interacted with him. They had heard him preach. And then they saw him killed on the cross and resurrected from the grave. They had come and they had seen what he had done. It was important for them to have that information. But not only was it important for them to come and see, but it was also important for them to go and tell because these events, friends, these events that happened were were not intended to be just for a private audience. They were intended to be for the entire audience world. And so the women were the first who were given the opportunity to go and tell what they had seen. And friends, that's something that we can resonate with even today. 
can imagine if you came up with a cure for COVID-19. What would you do with that cure? Well, my guess is you would not keep it to yourself. You, at the very least, would share that cure with your family, with those that you love. But my guess is that at some point, you would want to share that with everyone because this is a dilemma, a challenge that is facing the entire world right now. You wouldn't keep that to yourself. And when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the grave, he was offering a solution to the challenge of death and the problem of sin that faced everyone that lived on the planet from that day until now. This was not a message for them to keep to themselves. They were to come and see, yes, but they were also to go and to tell. Now, let's think about it for us today. It's important for us to come and to see, isn't it? It's important for us to come and see. This is why, in part, we're gathered here today. We're opening the Scripture. We're reading it. We're we're coming and seeing what has transpired. We are gathering in Zoom groups right now and Sunday school classes normally. Uh, Kids, you're, you're gathering together. Your parents are reading the Bible stories with you at night. All of those things that are happening, we're coming and seeing what God has done in Christ. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing for us to do. We need to remember to to come and to see what God has done for us in Christ. And for some of you, this might be, today might be the the first time you've come and seen. You're reflecting on these events in a deeper way than you've ever thought before. And if that's the case, we're so thankful that you're here. But for others of us, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, but we need to come back and look at it again because we're a forgetful group of people, aren't we? We need to come and we need to see. But friends, let's not just come and see and stay in the tomb. Let's also go and tell. I love what Spurgeon says about this. He says, in this world, we cannot afford to spend all of our time in contemplation, however heavenly it may be. Friends, we are not just to gather in a holy huddle, but we are to go and proclaim the good news of Christ. And my, my, my question to you today is, who has God laid on your heart and given you opportunity that you might proclaim who Jesus is to you, to them today? And, and you might say, well, it's, it's hard to do that in this time of social distancing. Well, you could write a letter. You could post to social media. You could send a text message. You could make a phone call. Even in this time, we have the opportunity to talk about all that God has done for us in Christ. To come and see, yes, but also to go and to tell. Now, the last thing I want us to see this morning, friends, is this. I want us to see that we can have fear, but we can have fear with great joy. Now, where do I see that inside of this passage? Well, one of the things that I see inside of the verses we just read is that everybody who interacted in this uh, historical account, there was some fear involved inside of them. For the soldiers, they were afraid. In Matthew 28, 4, it says that for fear of the angel, the guards trembled and they became like dead men. We don't know if this means they were just frozen or if they literally passed out. They were so terrified. But there was a a fear that came over the soldiers in that moment. And then later they would be fearful of what Pilate would do to them if he found out that the body they were sent to guard was not there. There was fear inside of the soldiers. There was fear inside of the women. 
when they see the stone rolled away and they see the angel sitting on top, they too are afraid. And this is demonstrated by the fact that the angel felt necessary to say to them, do not be afraid. But there was fear that was in their hearts. There's fear among the soldiers. There's fear among the women. And friends, there's even fear among the Jewish religious leaders. There's fear among the Jewish religious leaders. And and their fear is a little different. Their fear is that their plan didn't work. They moved from killing Jesus to covering up the resurrection really fast. Well, where do we see that? We see that in verse 13. They, they, they bribed the soldiers, and they said, hey, we'll take care of the, of the, the, the backlog on this, but you just tell people that his disciples came and stole him away. Now, can you imagine any self-respecting Roman soldier wanting to fess up to that story, but that's the best they had? There was fear among the religious leaders that their plan had not worked, and so they came up with this lie. There is fear all the way around inside of this story. But my question for us is, is it possible that fear might be overcome with great joy? Because my guess is, friends, it's not just soldiers and women and religious leaders who have a propensity to fear, but my suspicion is that you have something you're afraid of today, that the events of this age, the thought of death is fearful to you. It's, it's weighty. How is it that, that we might have something that could overcome our fear, and instead of just being dominated by fear, we might have the opportunity to have great joy? How can that happen? Well, we see it from the women in this story. It says, They departed quickly from the tomb with fear. But what else? They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. How is it that we can have great joy overcome our fear? Well, friends, it happens if we're a they. Right? You see it? Right there. They were the ones that had the great joy. Well, how can we become a they? We become a they if we seek Jesus Christ. The women went there to honor him, and they found joy because he was not dead, he was alive. If you want great joy in your life, honor Jesus as our risen Savior. They had great joy because they found their hope in him, their life, their future, their forgiveness. They're everything. It was found in Jesus, and with his resurrection, they had the hope of a new life as well. They became filled with great joy because of how they responded to the person of Jesus Christ. They believed in his name, and it made all of the difference in the world. Friends, my question is, are are you a they? Are you a they? Are you someone who is honoring Christ today as the risen Lord? Are you one who is finding your hope in him and not in something else? If so, then we can find something greater than our fears. We can find a great joy that permeates our life. You know, today is Easter Sunday, 2020. 30 years ago, on Easter Sunday, 1990, 
I placed my hope in Jesus Christ, and I trusted him as my Savior. Friends, when I did that, um, by the grace of God, my life has, has never been the same, and neither will my eternity be. I have found in Jesus hope and life and everything else. I still struggle. I'm still a broken person. I still snap in responses when I should be gracious and loving. But by God's grace, the shame of my sin was buried in a tomb. And my hope now is that I get to live in a newness of life forever. And that hope that I found 30 years ago is available to each and every one of you today. And my desire, our desire for everyone today is that we would not just be a people of fear, but we would be a people who see our fear overcome with great joy. Friends, if you are wherever you are right now, just take a moment and bow your heads. And if in your heart of hearts you agree with what I'm praying, you might pray this after me silently in conversation with your heavenly Father. Father God, we are so thankful for today. We're thankful for this moment where in our world we are afraid of so much. And in our lives, we feel like we have lost all too often. But Jesus won the victory. And he offers that hope to us. Father, may our shame and guilt be buried with Christ. And our hope walk on with him as we follow him forever. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.